Greetings, ladies and gents, and welcome to this latest narration of the web series There is no epic Lucia, only puns. A golden oldie coming back to life. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed down below in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 163 Divine Interpretation Taking her time, she walked forward from the entrance, making sure her new doormat was slightly tilted so that it would annoy some people on the way down. It would help them adjust to the fun later by breaking them on this little bother first. Delta tried to be helpful. The first issue Delta wanted to handle was Muffet. The ghost spider was amazing, but due to some unfair practices used by Fair Play, she struggled. Such as some of the people using tactics that included using some sort of weight magic to prevent them from being manipulated by her webs. Smaller fighters straight up had some sort of anti-crowd control spell they used sparingly. It repelled foreign magic attached to their body, like Muffet's webs. That didn't even account for the fact that while Muffet was one of the strongest monsters on the first floor, she was still from a time when Delta was still floundering with the second floor. A little upgrading wouldn't go amiss. Is Muffet going to change? Quee asked. The half-humanoid, half-spider asked in concern as he emerged from the spider room to greet her. Delta gave Quee a smile of reassurance. She tended to forget that sometimes when she focused on a task, her intent could be sensed by her monsters. Change is good, but this is more like getting new socks than Muffet changing herself. She's just going to slip into something more comfortable, Delta announced brightly. This made Quee go quiet for a moment. Should I change? he asked. Delta blinked at him. In what way? She responded as they moved into the spider room together, pausing to do the 20 second long dance greeting to the many spiders. Delta slipped on a third movement in the fifth stanza to and accidentally implied that she'd come to explode into chocolate. The spiders all had a good chittering giggle at this. To think, Delta used to run screaming from these goofballs. Well, uh... I, I used to be that woman, that, that, that spider queen, Quee said slowly, and Dalta's mind went blank for a second. Quee remembered his past self. W would I be better going back to who I was? She was stronger than me. C -c Could do more things, he asked, looking at his human hands. The noise in the room went quiet as Muffet and the royal spider court listened intently. Do you want to go back to being her, because you think that's what you should be, to be valuable? Or to be useful? Delta asked quietly as she bent down and her shirt creased a little as the long skirt brushed the ground, creating a little breeze. Quee held his hands to his bare chest and bit his lip. Uh, I guess so. No one has found my gate and uh, you're a woman too. Muffet is too. Should I be as well? I don't know, he admitted. This had been on Spider Boy's mind for some time, it seemed. No, you don't need to change again. Who are you now? The person or spider you've become. That's valuable and worth celebrating. You're not useless simply because you haven't been tested. She smiled and brushed Quee's hair back into a ponytail, allowing the spider to use web to keep it up. I, for one, love who you've become, even if you're still figuring things out. She promised and stepped back. Quee smiled and inhaled. I hope to meet some intruders soon and liquefy their insights in your honor. Master Maestro promised that he'd make a unique battle theme for me. It's going to be have guitar riffs, he said excitedly, before scuttering to the berry tree to take one for a snack. Delta would need to explain to the spider that she didn't have much use for people melting on the inside. Movement caught her eye, and Delta turned to the dark corner of the room. It was a familiar form. Maharia stared at Kui without her usual disdain for existence. She almost looked... Ah... Delta knew that look. She shook her head and turned back to Muffet, who was waiting patiently. Let's see what we can whip up, she said, and Muffet gracefully bowed with her four legs curling around her body. Delta hummed as she opened up her menu. She stared at the mana limit bulging to near bursting. Her DP was nothing to sneer at either, thanks to Waddle's new hobby of knife collecting. She stopped humming as a brand new lion appeared in the menu. Muffet. Spider-geist queen of the web court, world law. The spreading rumors coming from this dungeon speak of a white dancer, an unseen room guardian found on the first floor. Tales from scared adventurers and delvers speak of the limbs being wrestled from their control. 
forced to dance for the amusement of spiders. The tales whisper that if one has a full set of royal web garments made by this queen, they can obtain new powers and understand the secret language of the spiders. Bonus. Sea drain rate increased by 2% when Muffet defeats adventurers. This bonus will be nullified if Muffet becomes defeated on an average run. But what? Delta blurted out. Taken completely aback, New appeared as if summoned by her confusion. Oh, did that finally unlock? He asked, his text on screen coming off as far to come. What? Delta babbled, pointing at the world law with panic. It's a feature, not a bug. I know it is surprising, but they do exist. As people come in and explore, they share tales. People gossip and stories spread. Now, seeds are the source of most adventurous powers, which we need to cleanse of little brother taint and replace with bro and sis manner, he lectured, and Dalta stared at him. Nu was being all smug now since Dalta was on the back foot for once. But seeds are not inert cause of power. They're interwoven with souls, hearts, wills. So, if you supply such a seed with a challenge of unbeatable boss or challenge, the seed yearns to overcome it. It exposes itself more when face to face with that threat. Seeds want growth, as do their hosts, New said and trailed off. They're just gamers doing LARP, Dalton mumbled in her hands. Just gamers. <sighs> I can see the handhold under the desk. Come on now, Dalton said with a small smile. The void put the thing away in his bag, looking wrong. Sorry, Miss D. Dalton nodded. She had started learning a lot about video games to interact with the students. Sadly, a lot of what she was learning was a little baited, and a lot of it was confusing. Why was one game tilted fourth as a series here, but sixth in Japan? What was griefing? She still hadn't figured out what Ligma was, but she felt that she was getting close. Beta complained about having Ligma a lot. Delta was getting worried. She looked up, and the void was in her face. It was consuming her, screaming in pain, wrath, rage. To be divine, it whispered in rage. Hiss to burn. The orange dungeon core on the fourth floor cracked rapidly. But just as fast, blue veins filled in the damage, stemming as the process taxed the system. Sister looked at it from her chair in the void, her various screens covered in mushrooms and vines. A lot of the precise functions she controlled were slowly being removed from her domain but she could still keep Delta together with a little help from New. This was one of the concerns she had when she and brother made this design to integrate a living human soul into a core. While Delta rapidly outperformed in all areas to sisters' joy and delight, she was still a human soul tasked to cleanse the seeds of the abyss. It was bad enough that each seed contained a fraction of the little brother, but as she cleansed more, those fragments would continue to build up in a manner. Previous dungeon calls simply break them down and refine them. They were, uh, detached in that manner. Blank slates to allow the seeds to pass through with nothing to grip on. With Delta, they have something to interfere with, and Sister was not going to stand around and let her mistake continue to harm Delta. She and Brother already accepted what was going to come. She closed her luminous eyes, and a piece of stolen eye that she protected formed before her. The eye burned with such a power that it was the sun of the world. Gasping in pain, she replaced the taken piece with a part of her own power, shortening her lifespan by hundreds of years. If she didn't, the sun would set faster, moving differently. It would ruin farms and people's lives. Sister knew those were valuable. Every life was valuable. Delta taught her that. Slowly, she needed the fragment into Delta's core, giving her mana veins akin to a dungeon with over 300 floors. The act strengthened the self of Delta beyond who she was now, but not enough to change her, like Delta said. She wasn't changing herself. Sister was just giving her new socks. Very sturdy socks. Delta shivered as if someone had poured warm syrup down her spine. Still, that horrible vision abruptly pulled back, and Delta was back in the spider room. Everything felt tight, almost as if someone had knocked down a wall in Delta's mind. She was going to have to come to a conclusion about those visions, but not right now. Ruli could only keep those fair play people out for so long. Honestly, Delta was surprised that they weren't barging in already. The sun had risen an hour ago. Not that Delta knew exactly how she knew the sun had risen. She wondered 
what was keeping them. And thus, the truth was revealed that in fact sandals with holes over the toe were not a fashion crime. People just liked to hate things to join in, the girl with the fluffy white cloud robe proclaimed, her hands raised with staff gripped. Should we barge past? A fair brave scout asked, and another shook her head. You see what her staff is. I'm afraid of where she'll shove it if we do, she replied. Behind her, the priestess known as Kemi also had her three companions sitting around playing cards with Rudy. All of them wore bizarre clothing with slogans and images from the dungeon. Five, Rudy asked, and the redhead in leather thigh-high boots sighed in disgust as she tossed a card over. And this brings me to another sacred truth of the land. Hatred to tropical fruit on dough circles. It is okay to enjoy them, Kemi announced grandly and blazed with a white aura, making all Fair Play members' pale aura look grey. Uh, what if I want to sell this picture of one of the dungeon monsters to someone so that they own the image and no one else? Someone held their hand up, one of the very few mentor Fair Play members. Kemi turned to him, her eyes ignited with holy judgment. No. There was a long silence. What does that staff do, though? Someone yelled. Kemi blinked once. It injects holy truth into the murky dark places of the world. The burning honesty will give life to new meanings, she declared with pride. I'll take three, Ruli said under her breath, getting a smirk from the other woman at the table. The leader sighed as he handed over his kings. Muffet can now coat the ground in a thin web that adheres to every step, 20 dp. Muffet's fangs can now turn intangible before reforming at the tips, allowing her fangs to bypass most physical defenses, unless enchanted, 30 dp. If any caught web is alive after Muffet is activated, they will fuse into her, granting her a 5% power increase per spider absorbed, 40 dp. Counterweb. Once per encounter, all Muffet's webs become immune to low-level dispelling magics for up to two minutes. 60 dp. Quee's Row Model. At Call's wishes, or if Dungeon is in high difficulty mode, Muffet may become a Drider Queen. In this form, she becomes equipped with two random knives from Models' collection. 80 dp. I wonder what Muffet might look like as a temporary Drider, Delta mused before she focused on the gleeful Muffet. A ghostly afterimage appeared as Delta used a little of her dungeon mind to practice the upgrade. Slowly, Muffet's body became massive, growing until her abdomen was blinding and white, gold markings forming a Delta symbol on the top. Delta was a little worried about how her human part might look. Too many times she was faced in games with a half-human spider lady, using nothing but hair as decency while dodging lava baths. She didn't have anything to fear, as it turned out. Long, flowering white hair danced around a face concealed by a veil. Her body was covered in beautiful, flowing white and golden garments, like some warrior queen carved of liquid marble. The veil rippled, and all Delta felt turned to quiet shock as the face was monstrous mouth and black eyes moving in sync was briefly visible until the veil reasserted itself. You okay with all these upgrades? Delta asked Muffet, her voice a little faint. Muffet gave her a beautiful twirl as a simple yes. It was only five rotations, a pretty succinct response in spider language. Well, Delta could hardly say no. This one, that one, and of course, all of these. She hummed and purchased the upgrades. Muffet glowed for a few moments, then looked normal. But to Delta's dungeon senses, Muffet had gone from a white shadow to a blazing looming figure of regal violence, like a luminous storm. It was beautiful. She also had three new loot items automatically built into her. These could be won either by combat or by winning Muffet's favor. The Veil of the Queen had a decent enchantment to make one immune to eye magic and glasses. The Gown of the Queen was similar in nature, but prevented ghosts and spectral beings from passing through it. The last was the rarest, the Knife of the Alliance. It was an ornate marble-handled knife carved to be shaped like a feather wing and along the blade's surface, spiderweb veins and threads could be seen and laid in the metal. Anyone cut by this blade would suffer mortal mundane bad luck for an hour. Delta tried to understand how something could be both mortal and mundane, but the system yielded no clues. Pleased, Delta checked this room off her current list. Patch 1.1 was coming along nicely. Yatina inhaled once and knocked. 
The door opened a crack. Hello, I'm from Fairplay, she began, and the beautifully haunting woman inside let out a scream that cracked the nearby window before she slammed the door shut. Please, I need to speak to Dio Brando. It is a legendary adventurer who cleared the nearby dungeon to floor three that lives here, yes? Yatina cried, knocking again. Her reports say that this Dio, along with one Grim, Poppy, Kemi, and perhaps others, lived here. The city of bets and gambling, which held the records of various dungeons, showed that such people had done what Fairplay had yet to do. Get past Lord Two's entrance. Hello, someone said, and Yatina turned to a bright red-haired child, who had a lovely smile. Can, can I help you? He asked loudly, and Yatina winced, having spent all night resorting and ordering all reports in a quiet room by herself. She was working on two hours of sleep, and her glass eye was refusing to face forward in a huff. Oh, likely not, but thank you for asking, Yetina said miserably. The reports of the nearby dungeon were the only things keeping her sane. Such a fascinating place. But she wouldn't be allowed in until the scouts and blades secured the first floor. When some adults get sad, they get ale from the pub. Do you want me to show you the pub? Miss Nina said, today's special is meat and crunchy crisp fold and salad and spicy sauce, the boy said brightly. I don't like alcohol, the taste, the FX, or all the consequences. Food might be needed, Yatina muttered. Come with me, I can get you a free meal because I did so many chores for the pub with Miss Nina and I could get free food. I just like helping out and people like it now that I don't yell so much. He almost yelled in excitement. What is the meal? Yatina asked gravely as she was herded towards people. Lots of people in a small room. Tasty cornbread that's folded and cooked. I call them tacos for short. Tasty cornbread, he beamed, and Yatina managed to smile back. The boy had some strength to him. It took Yatina everything she had not to simply be dragged along. I don't suppose you know a groom or a puppy, she asked, deciding to ask the boy, if nothing else. She was covering her bases. After all, it seemed Dio was a dead end. I sure do. Not you their friend? The redhead had lad asked curiously. I went to interview them for signs. She explained that she was stopped at the pub's door by, uh, that aura. That uniform. Royal Knight, she whispered in slight terror. The man with the feral look eyed her for a moment, then dismissed her just as easily. Fair play, fools. The Royal Knight sighed as he left the pub reeking of enough alcohol to disinfect a wound. After he walked off, the boy patted her arm. That's Mr. Zane. He's, uh, not nice, but he's not as bad as that woman, Yatina's guide said, nose wrinkling. Ah, I want to go back, please, Yatina said, voice tight. To his credit, the boy simply nodded and escorted her back towards the fair play camp. You don't like the Royal Knights? The boy asked slowly, gently, as if Yatina was now made of glass. My sister is one, Yatina whispered and held herself. Yatina felt the feet near her face, and a flash of fire and rage of summer. My sister is Beldra of the summer, an ex-maiden. She left fair play behind. Left me behind, she said and inhaled with a shaky breath. I'm sorry, the boy said, and Yatina shook herself. No, my past is not your burden. Really, thank you, Yatina said, trying to hand the boy some copper coins, which he rejected. Just feel better, the boy said instead, and walked off with a wave of his hand. I never got your name, she called, suddenly feeling beyond rude. The boy turned and gave her one of those blinding smiles. Dio Brando, let's be friends, he called back and was gone. Dio was a nice name. She turned and took three steps towards the camp and then paused. No, she whispered to herself. She looked over her shoulder and stared at where the boy had been, the adventurer who cleared the nearby dungeon. No, I'm too tired for this, she announced and went to bed. She dreamed of the younger years, her sister in glorious light, surrounded by fans and teammates. Then it all turned to ash as Brilda ignited in rage. Then she turned to Yatina in the dream, reaching out with a soft hand before a golden dungeon call snapped chains around Brilda, stealing her away. Yatina was alone. So alone. Just feel better. She turned to see Dio standing nearby, hand held out. Behind the boy was a massive, glorious sun that cast an orange light into the void. Yatina reached out for the hand. She couldn't remember if, in her dream, she managed to reach Dio's hand, but she liked to think so. Yatina hoped so. 
If you're new to this series and you've reached this point, I, I would very much like you to head over to the Royal Road page for the author and show them some love. It's been a long while since I've narrated one of the chapters of this series, so yeah, I think it would be awesome if we all head over there and show them our appreciation for the story. Anyways, goodbye. Chapter 164 Foodie be goody. This was an issue. Dalta had perhaps gone too far. I don't even want to know how you managed this. New typed out on his screen, and he read as very agitated. I was just trying to fix the flooding weakness of the mushroom grove, Dalta said helplessly, as all around the grove tiny white mushroom domes rose up. Mushrooms had long stopped being an issue for Dalta, but these ones, these were different. Slowly, one side of the mushrooms fell forward like a ramp, letting energetic little blue people exit out into a false rain that she was using in this experiment. They reminded Dalta of a certain group, but the similarities didn't last long as they began to absorb water like sponges. They were technically a type of sentient spore from the mushrooms that were when they got wet. The cute little blue person next to Dalta bent over and began to rapidly increase in size to a small gremlin with long, dirty white sock hat and serrated teeth. They let loose keening noises and took to the mushrooms, climbing them like demented monkeys as they sought more moisture. It was fine until they drank the rain dry, and the only source of the moisture were left would be the invaders. You have created blue cat mushrooms. These mushrooms are harmless until an abundance of water is introduced to their ecosystem, or they are fed after midnight. Since time is abstract, any time is after midnight, except for midnight itself. As water vampires, they will drain all enemies of fluids. Their natural predator is the dust mummy, the driest creature in the land except for, insert fair play employee's name's mother, after a night on the town. Uh, was she always this hostile to fair play? Dalta asked Lou, who shrugged. She's been practicing a bunch of emotions. You, you missed a whole hangry saga. The blue camp demon spawn cackled and knocked each other out of the mushroom trees with Klee. Some grabbed gut rots and were feeding them to some other poor blue cap. They had a vibe, and Dalta was 75% here for it. Still, that was fire and water dealt with. If they introduced ice, then Dalta was just going to have to give them a win at that point. Gut rots can survive near sub-zero temperatures, New pointed out. Dalta would give them the win. Moving at the goblin's fort, she paused as she saw Swa doing something. He was using his staff to draw a long, complicated symbol into the wall. It didn't look like his normal fire rune, but raw, grander, and slightly like a coffee drink brand. Swa, what's that? Dalta got out before Swa tapped it, and the whole thing began to glow. Something akin to a vacuum cleaner powering up sounded out as a sudden breeze filled the room. Swa's face began to flap. Back, exposing his goblin teeth as he tried to grin, but the building wind was becoming a wind tunnel. Dalta had just made her avatar totally immune to that kind of physics. While she was wearing a professional skirt, it was still a skirt, nonetheless. The gust gained so much power that Dalta could feel an actual drop in her ambient manner. Swa held up his staff, and the grey winds began to gather into an orb that started to crack his staff visibly. Now, uh, before I can't hold it, Swa said, and Dalta turned her head to see Burley being braced by Num as he drew an arrow. The arrow flew, pushing the monk and archer back with such force that Dalta winced, but the arrow flew true, and something amazing happened before her eyes. The arrow pierced the wind orb, and a massive hurricane blew down the tunnel, sending blue caps screaming in panic as it raced through the grove, mud flying as it careened through the platform room, then the spiders danced the Oh Lord, it's coming dance as the wind finally slammed into her entrance room and up the stairs. <sighs> Enough. I will be entering the dungeon now, the fair play warrior told Kemi, who tried to think of a reason to hold him back. The man took one step down into the dungeon proper with a smug smirk. Screaming, horrible blue creature, three spiders and a dollop of mud slammed into him before they were pulled back into the dungeon and the man was sent hurtling to over the tree line across the field. There was a pause. Uh, I'll wait uh, as long as the lady with the suggestive staff says so, someone said, and the crowd shifted back, which is one. Kemi smiled. Her staff was very suggestive of Dalta's love and kindness. Or you can call it the Translational Opening Ordinance Technique, 
Suarez said once he peeled himself off the nearby wall. Delta sipped the coffee she made up of her manner, a very long and slow sip. How about we have new runes and brands inspected before we use them, she said. The three goblins turned to her with wide eyes. That sounds like bureaucracy, Suarez said, sounding utterly aghast. It sounds like not accidentally creating a black hole that consumes all life by messing with the code of reality, Delta replied flatly. Swar looked frustrated as he looked around at the many failed runes that he had made in the ground. Some just didn't work at all, and many were failed efforts that were more fizzle than bang. I just like the way the runes work, he finally muttered. Delta blinked, then opened Swar's menu. Swar, the pyromancer romancer. Can't be bad for the environment if toxins also get burned up. Swar has three evolution parts unlock. Diplomat, the most elegant of goblins, can speak with such grace that no one can make the first attack on his monster until it makes an aggressive move. This creature can also convince summons and or pet monsters to disobey their masters. The tribe of the spirit of fire. This goblin has a cast off of earthly flesh to become the ever-burning fire spirit that is magic itself able to ignite healing in other goblins and terrible burning curses in enemies. The sight of this monster is one of the goblin legends. The Rule Breaker, a goblin who has glimpsed the impossible and took it for himself. Able to understand basic runes and some complex ones, this goblin sees the world not as a simple here or there, but a now and forever. Delta told Swar of his career options. He gagged at Diplomat, drooled at Fire Spirit, but went quiet at Rule Breaker. Can I have some time, do you think? He said, surprising Delta. She had never heard Swar sound so, um, quiet. Now, of course, you don't have to change at all if you don't want that option. She's reminded the goblin kindly. Perhaps the other dungeons would just force the most optimal, but Delta had optimal strats in place already. If someone ever made it to King Jelligan easily, then Delta can make hard choices. She turned to Billy and Numb, who looked a little dazed from the wind attack. Billy, the dark slime in the shadow. I won't stab you in the back. I prefer seeing your eyes when I go deep. Billy has two evolution paths. Assassin, the most feared type of goblin by evil. The monster can not only blend into the environment. It's a unique monster that can follow a single target to another floor and remain able to do full damage to them, regardless of mana levels. Will he appear on the 5th floor, the 10th? Only he knows. But don't worry, your vital organs will know soon. The Fell Beast, drowning in their victim's blood, has allowed a portal to the dark dimension to open in their heart. These goblins look normal until they are pushed to their limit. At the point of near death, these goblins transform into massive creatures of bestial power that command shadow weapons. These creatures are hunted by many religious sects. Goblins had a lot of evolutionary lines. Delta supposed that they were the punching bag mobs for most stories, so it only made sense that they developed the habit of getting dangerous quickly. A shashin sounds more fun, Billy said with a pleased smile. Delta nodded and purchased the upgrade and blinked as Billy was cocooned in an orange orb that floated in the air. Billy's evolution will take two days, guard the monster well, or be forced to restart the timer. Numb poked it, and it floated off to the side with nothing anchoring it. Delta was a little stumped. This hadn't happened before. The more you evolve monsters, the more it takes to get them ready. It's why most dungeons work downwards, not outwards. New Floor comes with simply better monsters than most evolved ones. Her companion explained as if this was common knowledge. Most dungeons are dumb. I'm proud of my edgy goblin. He's got a diploma in ass-kicking. Delta crossed her arms, chin held high. Shame you can't teach them how to be crazy, Lou said dryly. Before they could argue, a new screen appeared. Would you like to engage in dungeon conquering? What does that do, though? Delta asked, confused. A massive map began to unfold within Delta's dungeon, showing a simplified picture like one of her third floor. Three symbols were instantly glowing. An orange circle, which she knew to be herself. A castle icon that rested above the golden circle. Slowly. A much smaller dots began to flash, and Delta stared at the various dungeons in proximity. Dungeon conquering is usually a project undertaken, where two dungeons expand in close proximity, and fight over space and resources. However, due to your superior means of growth, this system would instead allow the use of mana veins to allow you to transport a group of select monsters 
to act as adventurers to other dungeons, allowing you to educate them as you go while claiming any loot they would normally drop to augment yourself further. Seems a lot of work when I'm drowning in a to-do list so large that it would make a corrupt government blush, Dalton said, sounding unsure. One of the dungeons available for invasion is fish monsters as an introduction mob. And your point? Dalta asked. They chose desert as their theme. Dalta stared and her eyes began to erratically twitch. That sounds bad, but uh, I really should try to step away. Another has a security door in front of their first door, but I forgot to lock it with a key. Another has goblins as a mob, but they're all archer-classed. Dalta leaned on the wall with one hand, breathing with some difficulty. No, work. Uh, too much, she heaved. One dungeon has two-headed ogre as a boss. However, their bathroom ceiling is so low that it can't actually move to defend itself. All right, I'll consider it. How many of these dungeons need help? Display them as pink circle or something. Dalta waved the box off with a sigh. Roughly 15 are displayed now. These dungeons are within 10 or less floors to their name. That wasn't so bad. Wait, how many dungeons are around in total? Dalta asked, confused by the numbers that she was hearing. The map blinked and Dalta felt her mouth drop. She expanded the map to show the whole thing as a pink stars blinking into existence. That's a lot of dungeons, she swallowed once. Her own dungeon was in a weird void. Delta was the most isolated dungeon in the whole map. And uh, Delta was a superior dungeon of all of these markers. Nu, do you want to handle the rest of the first floor while I try to get a handle on this? She asked her friend and Nu hummed. I am good at crushing armies or making them, so either one suits me just fine, he reported. Delta gave him a side eye, but there was one more thing she wanted to do. Num, stand still. She beamed and opened up his menu. Num, the kind fist. It is not that I want to hurt you, but you make it hard to do otherwise. One possible evolution available. The perfect evolution discovered. Goblin hero. A first fighter that oozes justice. The most human-looking goblin of the lot. This fighter can literally punch evil in the face, such as liches, ghosts, and more. When protecting others, this goblin seldom loses. However, an alarming amount of romances do seem to occur around him. Num seemed excited. I have the power, he cried before he was engulfed in an orange orb. Swa sighed. Idiots, he said fondly as he began prodding the two orbs towards Ferris bar and beyond, hiding them under Maestro's loving care. Go be an invasive species to someone else. I'll finish tuning up the storeroom and the bar, Lou said, dismissing Delta if she was now in his way. Delta smiled and patted the screen. Make me proud, she beamed, and the screen eyed her. I am not one of your sad students. I don't seek your approval, he sniffed. Delta turned and knew it appeared in front of her. However, when you return to such glory, you will be aghast that you never promoted me to this job in the first place. I do this for me, not for you. Me! Not you, he stressed. I am unimportant to your rise as a tyrant of this world. I will now fade into the background and not cause any disasters. She mock saluted. I am glad we understand one another. Don't take too long on your journey. I need someone to handle these fair play imbeciles before long, he said dismissively and vanished. So, sis, how does this conquering thing work? She asked aloud and a new screen opened up. Would you like to select a team or use a random team filler, pulling from all floors? Delta eyed the first button that promised careful selection and optimizing an other button which was covered in confetti and sparkles and question marks. Delta stood there long enough that Suave's ruin let out a more gentle breeze, causing dust to kick up around her feet and a tumbleweed to dance past. Well, uh, the random button is more exciting, she argued with no one in particular. She pressed the button, and the screen began to glow, shake. It cracked and exploded into five tokens, each one golden and shiny. Seasonal legendary pull, Delta threw her hands up, hyperventilating. Where's the double roll for twenty bucks? Give me the deal, she said, looking around the screen for the missing button. Her five tokens turned one at a time, and each one made a chuckle, then giggle as the last two turned off. Delta bent over, cackling. Team name generate the good, the ugly, and the wicked. Lord Mushy, Jeb the Troll, Wyan and Bob the Worm, and Jack the Cobalt. Sending team and dungeon avatar to the Northwest Crown Archipelago. First dungeon will be the Northmost Island. Now beginning conquest with a Lumen Wave dungeon. 
Delta smiled, then felt herself being yanked into a manner vein so the world was a scream, stuck on a roller coaster with no reins or safety harness. She didn't even have time to explain the mission to her monsters. Wyan was buffing her nails when the flash of light overtook her. In her place was a dull-eyed replica that stared at the door ahead with endless patience. Replica Jack stared at the smut shrine before it and began to pray as it was designed to do. It also began to design bombs every few minutes as it was programmed to do. Replica Lord Mushy began to place a part on every surface it could, with a lally-o and a how-do-you-do to itself. A bit unlike my bob, Rail said as the replica bob floated on the surface of the waterfall pond like a dead trout, occasionally wriggling like live bait. The crabs were having a ball, spinning the body like a log. He's amazing, Vera gasped as the replica Jeb Troll not only successfully cooked toast, but made a good tea as well. Ah, uh, I don't know. I think I like Jeb normally. He sings songs, Mina said as she washed the endless dishes. Less troll soup pots to clean, Vera grunted at her. Nina couldn't argue with that. Still, the replica reminded her far too easily of her own condition when she was spread too thin. Take a break. We can let you back out if you need to go back to town, Vera said as she turned to the tiny falping form near the stove. King Jelligan, you're burning the edges of the eggs, she scolded. The little slime gurgled and fell aside, feeding him an eggshell to cheer him up. Delta held her hands to her face. I got manor bugs in my eyes, she wailed. Where, where, where are we? Jack asked aloud as Lord Mushy greeted everyone with a pleasant smile. I have legs, Wyam said in horror. She moved unsteadily around on something akin to wooden peg legs with little stubby toes. Bob looked around, now the size of a python rather than a massive creature. Hello, I'm yeah, Jeb jeered. Still his normal size, he looked around and Delta finally noticed where they were. Oh no, I'm back to mining at night, Delta whispered, as all around them geodes of what looked like aluminium glittered in the decorated entrance. Said entrance was a massive gaping crack in a wall, salty looking water came up to the ankles, and signs of erosion could be seen on some of the geodes. Jeb leaned over and snapped a geode off like Delta would pluck a berry off a bush. It crumbled in Jeb's hands, barely more than a surface construct. Delta opened her mouth, but she clutched her head as something began making glattural screeching in her mind. Delta couldn't quite translate what it was saying, since a lot of it was just making noise for the sake of it. The young dungeon was essentially bellowing, Food! Intruders! Food! On a loop. Delta flicked the connection, and the shrieking cut off abruptly to be replaced by a stunned silence. Now, none of that. My name is Delta. Do you have a name yet? She asked kindly, broadcasting mostly with her manner. The response took a long time. Food? What was Delta really expecting? Okay, foodie. Again, my name is Delta. Delta, she stressed. Dude? Delta, we have company, Wyam said, sounding annoyed. Delta looked into the corridor beyond the crack in the wall to see scuttling crabs with geodes of shells. Oh, that looks like a functional monster. Well done, foodie, she praised. Seconds later, Wyam kicked one, and the shell was so eroded that it shattered into pieces, and the monster exploded. Delta stared in shocked horror. I barely touched it, Wyam whined, hands up to ward off a lecture. About ten more came scuttling towards them, and Bob slithered forward, rounding them all up in a coiled grip, having to endure feeble smacks and bites to avoid crushing them all. Foodie, these monsters aren't working. They're too soluble, she explained. Food! Aww, Foodie responded. This was getting her nowhere. If she just had access to its main... Her manner searched for it, and Delta felt a whisper of a war cry. It didn't take long to get a feel of everything. Seven floors. It had seven floors. Delta fell to her knees. How am I your senpai? She asked, feeling insecure for a moment. The core was found, and it was a grayish color made up of the same metal decorating the entire dungeon. Her manner just sort of bashed past the bosses with alarming ease. A grey screen flickered next to the orange one. Danger, Foodie cried. A flunking dungeon 101, yes, Delta said, as she hit no on the consumed core option without even needing to think about it. Dungeon, unnamed, theme saltwater metal, floor 7, potency, weak. Delta just had to pretend that she was grading homework or staying back after class to help the student understand something they clearly were struggling with. 
Me die? Bertie asked, and Dalta patted his score gently. We say not today to that rubbish, she said, and the other call seemed content to accept what fate might come to it. It didn't even try to move its bosses towards her. It didn't even think to try. Let's see if this is yet. Aha! She grinned as a sort of history screen appeared. Foodie's first items that it consumed were displayed on the bottom. Consumption, seawater, aluminium extreme rust, broken rusty sword, salt crystals, dried. Dalta sent a curious pulse to the dungeon and its immediate surroundings. Foodie was located on one of the crowned islands, inside of a tide pool cave where the ocean closed in for hours, protecting Foodie until the tide receded. Likely Foodie didn't plan on that, but just got lucky. Scrolling through the list further, she did notice a sudden intake of more unique materials. Leather, glass, paper, furs, and, uh, biological substances. Foodie was a discovered dungeon. She sent a mental image of a person to the dungeon, and it didn't recognize the image of a man or woman. Out of sheer effort, it managed to send back an image of something, uh, very not human. It looked like a scribble on paper more than a clear image, but Delta got the impression of two arms, two legs, a long tail, and a rigid finned back, and a bulbous head. Jack, do fish people exist? She asked, feeling like she was uttering three different offensive statements at once. Jack looked over from where he was licking salt crystals curiously. Sure do. They used to be monsters like we kobolds, but people are freaks. And now we have seeds in every kind of life. Don't know which one lives around here. But we've got naiads, merfolk, shahagan, and jeepkins, and more, he said casually. Cute, Hoodie repeated. Jack. His name is Jack, Delta corrected with a small smile. She found the crab monster and the first floor upgrades. First floor, the salt wound. Upgrades, geodes of aluminium will periodically form. It'll take a long time for them to be harvestable. Flowing sea, ankle-deep water will constantly flow outwards from the boss's room. Sea air, torches and fire don't last long here. Monsters, geode crab, weak shell crabs that aim to cut veins. Salt bat, bats that will dissolve if made wet. Their bite is agony. Boss, the tyrant shell. A massive crab that has absorbed enough pure geodes to make a solid defense. It can spew pressurized salt water to knock people back. A massive floor cracked at the back of the shell makes it a weak point. Traps. Three pitfalls filled with waist-deep water. One slip rock. Foodie, this floor needs work. She pointed out and Foodie let out a cry of denial, seeming to hold the seventh floor closer when most of its stockpiled resources were being automatically allocated. Automatically? allocated. Delta would just turn that off. Foodie immediately snapped back on. Delta narrowed her eyes and turned it off. Foodie cried and turned it back on. Delta yanked it back with too much force and the symbolic switch snapped off with such a force it literally flew off the menu. Both dungeon calls stared at the broken switch. That was when Foodie let out a keening noise like a terrified puppy. I... Barely touched it, Delta cried, and Wyam shot her a dirty look that Delta flush. Foodie was now a single constant stream of keening in such panic that it wasn't listening to Delta anymore. What did Delta do when she was panicked? Oh, look Foodie, a mushroom, Delta said with a smile and held up a gut rot. She wouldn't actually feed it to the dungeon, but a shiny new thing did make it go quiet. Mushroom, Jeb cried with delight. The shaking knocked Delta off her feet and the mushroom went flying deep to the corridor. Three seconds passed, and Foodie spoke more clearly than ever had before. Mad food, die, want, no more. You get used to them, Delta said distantly, her eyes going faint. Now listen, no more bad food, Foodie whispered. Delta tossed it a tasty mushroom, causing it to shriek in panic until it dissolved. Oh, good dungeons who make better first floors get good mushrooms. Bad dungeons that make bad life choices get bad mushrooms, Delta said deciding to go with it. New dungeons were between puppies and toddlers. Want more good shrewd. Dalta was not looking forward to the equivalent of a teenage dungeons, who was sure they knew better than her. Dalta's first mission was to help Foodie adjust one thing at a time, like making its monsters not explode due to its own dungeon theme. Dungeon Network 2.0 now at 1%. Key core, Dalta is 146% stable. Chance of success, above average. Delete old network, key core, silver status unknown, yes or no. She declined for now. It would cause too much chaos if she deleted the old network just now. 
Silver. Sister just didn't know what had gone wrong. He'd been progressing dungeons to a new level, and his sudden departure had caused tons of new dungeons to begin to decline in efficiency. He was what led Dalta to being hastened into place. His madness played a huge part in the corruption of many old dungeons. Without him as a linchpin, code crash, logic burned, and good cause went insane. Many depended on Silver to speak to each other. Many ended up locked up in their own heads, and Sis was so ashamed she didn't try to help them. She'd been, was still, such a stupid child. Brother wanted to end them before it got worse, but Sister held on. She clung to the idea that a solution would be found. Sis hurt so many people, and now she had hurt many more dungeons. Sister looked down at a chair. She never relaxed in it, never allowed herself to recline into its power. She did not deserve it, and as soon as the time came, she would no longer allow herself to be the same room as it. A good throne deserves a better god. Sister looked at many of the screens before her, covered in mushrooms and gibberish. Delta had been one of the good ones, and Sister put all of her love and faith in that woman. She was just so tired of hurting people, and this was her chance to be a hero in a story for once. Just once. She tried to sit closer to the edge of the throne, and a mushroom popped up under her knee, shifting her back. It made her blink. Excuse me, she said to it apologetically, and tried to shift to one side. The armrests, made of vines and bright red mushrooms, formed, and Sis felt weird having a place to relax her arms. Her joints had been so sore for a few millennia. One of her screens flashed. Delta Network 1.0 supports all. I'm not depressed, brother warned the mushrooms as they continued to follow him around the core. I'm suitably gothic with style, he corrected and returned to his fishing pole. A tiny mushroom was growing on the tip of his fishing pole. I shall name you Godbert, brother announced. End of chapter. Chapter 165. Sponge Garden. Dalton knew somewhere deep in her being that foodie was not her worst student, but he was pretty damn close. It was probably unfair to have best or worst students, but Dalta prided herself on making 40% result feel like a victory and a 70% pass rate feel like a failing. It depended on the student in question. Pudi had one major issue. He could hold one concept very well, but that's all he had room for. His salt baths, for example, were a result of this. They were salty. Salt hurt on open wounds and was cheap. Throw it onto a cheap creature and boom, salt bat. When Delta pointed out the fact that they melted in water, Foodie's mindset went from salt to water is good at erosion. There was no connection. Wyam reached up and drowned another hollow salt bat, demonstrating their weaknesses or uh, amusing herself. Delta didn't quite know. She called Foodie's monsters hollow because they truly were. All her monsters had a spark of something, a thing inside the manor construction that was their body. It allowed them to grow, change, think, live, and be real. Booty's monsters didn't have a single spark. It wasn't that it was just Delta that had them. When she'd been stuck in that dead silver dungeon that nearly killed her, the monsters waking up had sparks too. She'd have to see if the sparks appeared after so many levels, or if it was a personal development thing. Foodie, salt in water is bad. It's very bad for your salt monsters, Delta stressed, wondering why Sis thought that she could ever get through to these dungeons. S salt! It was like she was talking to an excited toddler who was part plant. Delta had no clue what she was doing. It was fine when she was messing herself up. That was on her. But now it involved an innocent, eh, sort of, dungeon. S salt! What? I took a perfectly good dungeon and gave it anxiety. Delta threw her hands up. Jolly good. Wyam applauded from nearby. Something weird about this, sis. Jack called over as he kept tasting different parts of the wall. Oh, water salt, Jeb said smugly as if he was competing with Foodie. Salt water. Yes, Foodie, that's what I've been saying. Delta mused distractedly before poising. She turned towards the entrance and stared. What did you just say? She asked slowly. Salt, the call responded. Delta let out a sigh, but threw him a tasty mushroom anyway for his quick response. A suggestion, dear mother, Lord Bushy said kindly from his side. Delta shot him a grateful smile. 
please, I'm floundering, she admitted, with a little bit of embarrassment. You should try speaking to Foodie as a dungeon, not a wonderful person, he said, and Dalta gave him a long look, stunned. We, we, we could traumatize it so badly it grows out of sheer panic, Wyam counter-suggested. Bob let out a screech and Wyam scowled. Valiant, but not without wisdom, dear Bob, she sighed. Delta turned to the dungeon and slowly relaxed her consciousness. It didn't take long for her thoughts of doubt, worry, and fear to sink away. The world around her melted away, leaving her in a dungeon scape, connecting lines of manor and moats where things stopped being what her eyes saw, expanding into concepts and symbols. This was how dungeons saw, and she stood up. A titan woman emerging from a burning sun like a galactic-sized god. Before her lay not her stars and world, but another's. This system was so small, barely surrounded by seven rocks. Delta couldn't even call them asteroids without feeling like she was being too polite. The tiny, flickering candle shimmering without shape or direction. Moving forward, she watched as a small, limbless lizard emerged from the other side. Foodie lacked eyes, ears, and only opened his mouth to swallow nearby moats of mana. Delta had to bend down so far, reach so gently to cut the core in her hands. Foodie was no longer afraid of her. Perhaps this was how it had always seen Delta. There was no speaking required. Delta focused on this creature, the salt bats that lived in the first rock, and sent concepts of water clashing destruction and waste. Foodie seemed to struggle so she repeated the pattern slowly, one at a time, until she began to repeat them faster and faster. Water to salt, salt bats to destruction. Booty stared back, his star glowing. Delta began sending the concept of salt bats. Foodie finished it with the idea of destruction, forward and back until Foodie was repeating the words by himself. Salt bats are destroyed in water. It clinked. Their stars glowed in joy. Dungeon and Nate. Dungeon, Foodie. Level 1, mana density increased, core stability increased by 2%. Delta watched the salt bats no longer dive-bombed at Jack and Wyme, sticking to the ceilings until they got a sneak attacks in. It was a massive step up over the previous suicide tactics. They were still couldn't hurt Delta's monsters, but that wasn't the point. Delta could have gone in and done all the upgrading herself, but she wanted Foodie to take control of his own dungeon. There was one thing she still felt unsure about, something that she was not going to be able to ignore for much longer. Foodie, do you know what death is? She asked, and Foodie sent her a pulse of manner to show that he had heard her. End of me? Yes, but it also is for everyone. When people come here, you'll try to kill them, right? She asked slowly, and Foodie didn't hesitate. Yes, their end, my growth. But what if you didn't have to kill? What if there were other ways to grow? She offered and Foodie was quiet for a second, trying to understand. Death's best way, growth is me. Delta swallowed once. But if people don't die and leave, they come back. More mana and resources, Delta argued, things from a different angle. Come back? They here, eat now, no escape, no. Foodie insisted. That's thinking now and here. But you also need to think of the future, Delta said, and she left Lord Mushy putting a comforting hand on her shoulder, his touch only barely affecting her. Future? Food? Delta, time is a concept, a hard one, Wyam said lazily from where she was training salt bats to fight for her amusement, with gentle praises and sharp pokes of her limbs. Bob was curled around her neck like a fleshy scarf. Exactly. Sometimes I think I just struck underground for ten years, sometimes sixty, but I'm sure I'm still there and having an amazing dream of going on an adventure. Jack said from atop a rock where he was collecting samples. Everyone stared at him, and Dalton needed Feligan the therapist ASAP. Foodie had been listening, and he spoke up. Dream? he asked, throwing curiosity. Dalton hummed. She could put aside her personal philosophy until Foodie was more aware of his options. Converting actual children to her ideals felt a bit dark. Dreams are complicated. A dream can either be something you enjoy while you sleep or uh, hibernate. Another way to have a dream is to have something you want more than anything else in the world. One thing you think about all the time, Delta explained with a smile. Foodie took some time to process, and his response surprised Delta. He'd stab a beast. Foodie, where did you get that idea? She asked, 
and Foodie sent her an image of that rusty sword he had consumed a while back. It was a hunk of junk, but on the blade, Delta could barely see the image of her. A unicorn? she asked, incredulously. My dream, head stab a corn. Delta tried to form words, but she failed for a moment. All the themes in the world and Foodie had chosen to be salty. But if there was someone who could cook up a unicorn from nothing, it was Delta. After all, she was amazing at making cute and sweet monsters. Her window popped up. Foodie has gained 18 mana and can make a new floor. Delta frowned. His floors are cheap as dirt. I need like 500 to get my fifth floor, she complained. Want some cheese for that wine, Brian called, and Delta shot her a dirty look. Due to the complexity of each floor, the cost rises greatly for Delta Core. Every feature affects the next floor and opens new options. Foodie has severely underdeveloped options and thus his floors cost less. This system can make floors cheap, fast or efficient, but only ever two at a time. That made sense and Delta got very lucky with Hob and Gob. Wait, an idea. Jack, she called out and pointed at the kobold, who looked to be making some sort of salt lamp. Fetch me a creature from outside, she said grandly. If all went according to her plan, then Delta could give Foodie a massive benefit and boost with the contract. She turned to where she heard Jack return. Good work, Jack. Uh, put it over, uh, the, over there. Delta's voice trailed off as her eyes went wide. <laughs> I lured him in with the promise of sweets, Jack said as a small boy in a poncho with a satchel around his waist blinked at the cave. He had tan skin that spoke of many hours in the sun. Jack, where did you find the child? Delta asked, sounding like she was strangling back a scream. Kids are everywhere. You just got two people together long enough and... Jack began, and Delta's screech escaped for a second, making him stutter. Where did you find this child? Delta repeated a question. The child had wandered off towards Wyme. Are you a goddess? He asked in a high tone. He blinked at Wyme as if he had never seen anything like her. Wyme looked up from her salt bat army with a raised eyebrow over her amber eyes. Do I look like a being of worship? She asked coyly. You're the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Pa says Mama was as pretty as a goddess. Do you know her? He, he said he lives in the stars now. The boys said with no shame. Delta was about to open her mouth to warn Wyme to be nice when she surprised Delta. Yes, I remember meeting a beautiful creature with a button nose like yours. She's proud of you, but you mustn't walk into dark caves with dubious characters in it. She wouldn't like that, Wyam murmured as she stroked the boy's hair once inside. If Delta didn't have a connection with Wyam, she wouldn't have even sensed the lie. The child grinned, showing a gapped tooth. I can take the key, Parker. There is a whole village on the other side of the island. Kind of sorry-looking place, Jack said, and the kid shot him a heated look. Victor is not sorry, he argued. Delta frowned at the name. She told Wyam to ask about the village since the boy couldn't see her. It's a fishing village that lives inside this massive ribcage of a sea monster. It protects us from storms and sea huggins, the boy said brightly. He explained that it had only been around for about 40 years since the legendary hero fought an ancient beast on the island and devoured its flesh until only bone remained. They named the village in his honor. For the, uh, the last month or two, the Sea Hagens have been invading the island, and things have gotten bad, the kid said sadly. Delta winced. Sad children were a weakness of hers. Why haven't you called the kingdom's knights or adventurers? Wyam asked, sounding less affected. We, we can't get boats out, and the adults can't magic a message that far. The message goes only so far as this dead zone, the cursed land. The boy went on. Dead zone? If Dalton remembered a map when the only thing between this island and the capital of note was, uh... Oh. Well, she could fix that. She was fixing that. New considered limiting the manners leaving the dungeon in levels as to cause people outside massive headaches. These fair play people could use a little stillness. But then Delta would whine at him about hurting her precious villagers. New couldn't even remember any of their names beyond Rudy and Chris. There was the child, Dio. His friend, the blue mage, Perry? It was definitely Perry. The idiot child, Grim. Or was it Grim? It could have been Greg. You know full well what their names are. You have perfect recollection like the rest of us, Vera said as she cleaned up the pristine mug. 
I would never waste precious brain space on them, Lou said with a small scoff. He was busy fiddling with the bar menu, but every option he wanted was declined by Farah, and the system just removed them on her whim. Delta had uh, ruined a beautiful thing, absolutely tyrannical control. Well, there was one thing they could both agree on. Walligan, a thin membrane slime that is near invisible, this creature shrugs off the common elements easily, such as fire, ice, and copper. Carbon, potassium, and sulfur seems to have built-in sunglasses, but it has no eyes. It was a door that people didn't know was there. It also blocked future fire grenades, but when New tried to figure out where to the upgrade came from, he was let down a twisting knot of sticky ideas. He could part and reform with ease, making him a clever little door that could also trap and smother someone. That last part was New really reaching for some sort of satisfaction. Now you sure we can't add ceiling-mounted flamethrowers? New said, turning as the slime formed like a glossy silk before turning transparent. Its sunglasses rose down into place, making it look stern and protective. The glasses dissolved and reappeared at Welligan's swim. They don't match the decor. I got an image to market, Farrah grunted. New grumbled as he reappeared in the storage room and opened the menu. Something here had made him feel better. Storage room. A little bit of everything all of the time. Features, Mary the Chaos Mouse, random selection of dungeon goodies, a buffet of general snacks, a secret door to Maestro, Songmaster of Doom and Soul, sturdy shells, upgrades, the Dark One's approval. Using the key from Waddle's Nest opens the room which makes better loot and no secret entrance to Maestro. The best food and drinks will be offered and there is one in ten chance to find a door straight to the second floor. However... If someone under Waddles' bad luck curse uses the key, they will be shrunk to half of Mary's size for five minutes. Twitty, a small canary that flies about as Mary is active, things seem to just work out in its favor when it's being chased. On its leg is a small piece of paper with a clue to Maestro's entrance. Twitty's magic potion. Somewhere in the room is a strange vial that almost compels Twitty to drink it. The effects are startling and uh, terrifying. These were tempting, Noom had to admit, but they lacked what he wanted, the edge, the bizarre danger and surprise. He looked around as he felt sister focus on him. He shivered. He was never meant to be a focus. Noom was never meant to be, period. Especially since... Since... It didn't matter. Are you not happy? Sis said to him through the network. I am not unhappy either, Noom responded dryly. You've been taking pieces of yourself to aid Delta. You're not stable, Sis said, almost hesitantly. Non-important pieces, control, power, the deeper aspects of the system, things I can live without. I cannot live without Delta, he responded with no shame. You could, you have, but in the end, I don't want you to be unhappy. I don't want people I care for to be sad anymore. Let me help, Sis offered, and knew had no clue how she was going to help him. He was bored out of his skull not dying. Once Delta returns, perhaps you should take the next dungeon trip to aid another core. Most of them require Delta's special care, but there are a few dungeons, important dungeons, that cannot be peaceful. Some are in danger of simply not knowing better. Others are in danger from things far worse, Sister explained. From what? Dungeons are pretty good at surviving anything short of an organized mob in the beginning. New said, trying not to sound too interested. Their silence may be imprisoned here, but this is only their main force. Many pockets of their ilk remained unopposed. They will feast on people, monsters, and dungeons. New dungeons will be easily overrun if discovered in these dark places, the girl said somberly. So, uh, Delta teaches some dungeons to be bright and cheery, while I help others survive in the darkness. Sounds like a lot of work, New trailed off. These dungeons actually need to use traps, the goddess said dryly. I'm sold. Now, he just had to wait for Delta to return from teaching some poor core how to hug and sing songs of something. New was mildly excited, not that he would admit it. He couldn't wait to meet his first protege. They would be smart, cunning, and best of all, guilt-free for New. You took the chieftain's son, Delta screeched at Jack, who was cleaning between the toes of the particularly solid piece of salt. 
I hadn't taken my life to him in order to lead him into a dark cave, when no one would hear him fire or find him, Jack corrected. Who's he talking to? The boy Vaidlin asked Wyatt. The tree had taken weird liking to the kid, but she was also nice to Dio and the others. Delta, she's the ghost of Christmas guilt tripping, the second floor boss said airily. What's Christmas? He asked right after. A yearly tradition where humans cut down the mightiest tree they can find in order to decorate its rotting corpse with baubles and insulting vapor. Atop its crown, they place an idol to another god to show dominance, and under it, they place offerings and tributes before they feast upon the birds and berries, Wyam said with excitement. Did they try to cut you down? Vadolin asked in a gasp. Wyam buffed her nails with a smirk. Many men have tried to claim me. I have uh, discouraged them all, except my sweet knight of honor and courage, she sighed to herself. Mom, Jeb asked, sounding confused. Delta turned, faced Puffy from yelling at Jack. What's wrong, Jeb? She asked, trying to remain composed. Fishies are coming, he pointed out to the open beach area, where the tide had reached to show shapes emerging from the pool and waves. Vaidlin turned and went pale. The Manchars, they're the invading sea hagens, he cried, as about thirty in total emerged onto the beach, covered in the silvery scales of some fish and adorned with a thick coral stone. They had a selection of dark stone weapons and crystal versions that glowed with mana. Maybe we can discuss things, Dalta said quickly. One of the Sea Hagens pulled its bluish arm back and let a spear fly at Vidalian without hesitation. The spear bounced off Ryan's raised arm as she curled it around the boy. Shall I remove the heads and boil them in stew? The boss asked Dalta, who looked shocked, then angry at the attempted murder before her eyes. Ask Vaidolin if there are any good Seahagans, Dalta said simply. Wine repeated the question as Lord Mushy took up the vanguard to shield them. And the, the low blues and the surface tooth clans are okay, but the Magels attacked them too, the boy responded, shaking badly. Dalta closed her eyes for a second as the Seahagans advanced closer. Their manner was putrid, and it reminded Dalta of the Slimers. Refusing to act when someone was in danger, even if it meant killing to defend them, was not wisdom, it was indolence. Kill fishies, not sandwalkers, Hoodie said, sounding confused as all heck. You know what? Delta could work with that, a solid foundation. Into the dungeon, let's power level Foodie and save crying children, Delta commanded. I got sand in my eyes, Jack said defensively. Knew was going to be bummed out that he was missing this. And I'll be there for its first spike wall trap kill, New told Pharaoh excitedly. Mm-hmm, the goblin said, not paying attention at all. And when it gets fire, oh, the fire arrows, he gushed. Pharaoh hoped that New would soon remember that the average new dungeon was like a sponge. Brain dead soaks up anything and filled with holes in all logic. Pharaoh reckoned New would gain valuable life lessons being a sponge daddy. Patience, hopefully. But Farah would settle for deep regret. End of chapter. I would like to thank the T5 peeps, Cam Maxwell, Casper Arnholtz, Bushmaster177, Leslie517, RedPanda121, Coldwar Boomerwaffen, Lightjock, WRE, Lord Azrakal, Severin Cerberus, and Arcadian. Thank you very much.